So this morning, it is a real pleasure for me to introduce to you this year's Res Publica Lecturer, Dr. John Inazu. In addition to his chapel talks yesterday um, and today, Dr. Nazu is also teaching tonight from 6.30 to 10.30 and tomorrow morning from 8 a.m. to noon in Brock 118. And those lectures are available to anyone, even if you're not one of those lucky few who are signed up for the class. Dr. Nazu is the Sally D. Danforth Distinguished Professor of Law and Religion and Professor of Political Science at Washington University in St. Louis. He received his JD from Duke University School of Law and his MA and PhD in Political Science from UNC Chapel Hill. His most recent book, Confident Pluralism, is the basis for his lectures here with us. In it, he argues that it is both possible and necessary for us to learn to live together peaceably through deep political, ideological, and religious difference. It's a timely book for our polarized culture and a challenge to Christians and non-Christians alike. So you might be wondering, what hath constitutional law to do with art history? And there's actually a lot, but we're not talking about that today. The reason I'm introducing Dr. Inazu is because he and his family, his wife Caroline, um, and his children Lauren, Hannah, and Sam are also personal friends from my time in St. Louis. His scholarly accomplishments are many, but I have been particularly impacted by his advocacy for and encouragement to Christian faculty at WashU and his commitment to writing for a broader general audience, not just the academy. He's been a generous colleague and I'm grateful for the wisdom and the challenges that he brings to my new community here today. So please join me in welcoming Dr. John Inazu. Great to be here again with all of you, and Alyssa, thanks for the welcome. We were also in a small group together in St. Louis, and uh, appreciated very much that time. I also want to uh, say hello to Joel Doms and Margot Kobe. Uh, Margot, your dad says hi. <clears throat> I, uh, yesterday I opened with John 17, and the reminder from Jesus to be in the world but not of it, to be sanctified and to be unified, and I use that text as a frame to talk some about this idea of confident pluralism and its particular applications for Christians. And I talked about three aspirations, humility, patience, and tolerance. And the title of today's talk is From Aspirations to Virtues, Faith, Hope, and Love. So let me begin by reviewing these three aspirations start with humility. Humility recognizes that in a world of deep difference about some of the most fundamental issues, we are not always going to be able to prove to other people why we are right and they are wrong. Patience encourages listening, understanding, and empathy. Our patience with others may not always lead to bridging ideological distance. We're not going to find agreement on all of the issues that divide us, but patient listening, empathetic understanding, and the thoughtful questions can help us to bridge relational distance as we come to recognize some shared experiences that unite us amidst the different experiences that divide us. 
we can find common ground even when we don't agree on a common good. And then finally, tolerance. Tolerance is a kind of practical enduring of beliefs and practices that we don't share. Tolerance does not mean acceptance. The demand for acceptance is a philosophical impossibility. Every one of us holds views about important matters that others find problematic. And there is no way that all of us can embrace all of these differing and mutually incommensurable beliefs. Now note that I've called these aspirations, and I've done so for a reason. It's pretty easy to aspire to almost anything. It's much harder to think about virtues. Virtues require a lot of practice, and they require us to develop habits and dispositions. We are habituated into certain practices over time, and that's how we realize virtues. But Christians, of course, have these other virtues. We are called to be people of faith, hope, and love. And these virtues equip us to engage in the world with humility, patience, and tolerance. So let me try to connect these for us. Start with the humility that comes from faith. Acknowledging the fact of difference in the world does not make us relativists. To the contrary, it opens doors to conversation by showing that everybody, religious or not, lives and acts on a kind of faith. As New Testament scholar Kevin Rowe writes, the human condition is such that you have to choose how to live from among options that rule one another out. And we all make this choice by trusting in things unseen. As Rowe says, we wager our lives one way or the other because we cannot know ahead of the lives we live that the truth to which we devote ourselves is the truth worth devoting ourselves to. Christians are able to exercise humility in public life because we have faith in something greater than ourselves. That confidence, though, does not mean unwavering certainty. Let me repeat again a quote from yesterday from Leslie Newbegin. We are continually required to act on beliefs that are not demonstrably certain and to commit ourselves and our lives to propositions that can be doubted. That's the humility that comes from faith. Christians are also patient in the world, and we are patient because we have the virtue of hope. We place our hope in a story whose end is already known and whose timing is not ours to determine. As Stanley Hauerwas has put it, the movement that Jesus begins is constituted by people who believe that they have all the time in the world. It is from the hope of the gospel that we know the end of the story and that we are able to engage in this messy world now, trusting not only that God prevails, but that he has already prevailed. And finally, Christians have the virtue of love. Because of God's love for us, we can pursue tolerance with others, not accepting everything as good or right, but doing the hard work of distinguishing people from ideas, pursuing relationships with people who are created in the image of God while we recognize that we don't approve of all beliefs and actions. Christians demonstrate tolerance for others because our love of neighbor follows from our love of God, and our love of God is grounded in the truth of the gospel. Here is how my friend Andy Crouch brought these ideas together for me in one lovely sentence. Andy wrote to me, the calling of Christians is to be shaped and reshaped into people 
whose every thought and action is characterized by faith, hope, and love, and who then speak and act in the world with humility, patience, and tolerance. Let me just read that one more time. He's really good. (laughs) The calling of Christians is to be shaped and reshaped into people whose every thought and action is characterized by faith, hope, and love, and who then speak and act in the world with humility, patience, and tolerance. So two questions this brings me to. One, how do we pursue these Christian virtues of faith, hope, and love? And second, what do we do with them? The first question is one that I hope you are asking yourselves and each other through the entirety of your experience here at Covenant. I'm not going to pretend to have the blueprint for you, but three quick suggestions about this. One, be the people of God who practice these virtues with each other. Second, read, learn, and listen from lots of people, including those who will challenge you and who will disagree with your most strongly held premises. And finally, commit to doing this together. Right? Don't give up on meeting together with one another and work on the friendships that will help you through life with this. One of the greatest privileges and gifts in my life is an accountability group with three friends that we started in college, and 22 years later, we still meet, and we still email every two weeks with a set of questions asking deep, uh, probing issues of our lives. And that didn't happen by accident. The friendship grew out of the commitment, not the other way around. The second question is, what do we do with these virtues of faith, hope, and love in the world? How do we engage in a world with confident pluralism? And so I'm going to offer three areas of practical engagement, and they're meant to be challenging and perhaps also a bit provocative, and the beauty of my parachuting in here is I can throw out some ideas and then leave you to wrestle with them in my absence. Uh, So let me start with with the idea of politics and the importance of engaging in politics in the world today. There's a temptation to be cynical, of course, but we should remember as Christians that for a lot of people in this country, politics is not just an argument around the dinner table. For many people, it is a vehicle through which urgent needs are addressed, and it can be a matter of life and death. This is particularly true in areas of our country where the social fabric is torn. This is not an issue of black and white rural or urban, coastal or heartland. The fabric right now in this country is torn all over and people are hurting. In these settings, in politics and with law and government and public institutions, Christians have a role to play, not as self-interested or self-protecting rulers, but as active participants seeking the good of our neighbors. And I think we can particularly think about this at the local level. Second challenge or form of engagement with faith, hope, and love. The question of race and engagement across racial differences. Here I think white Christians in particular and the institutions they've built need to grasp more the realities of the privilege of being white and the deep and continued consequences of structural racism. Part of this engagement needs means that all of us need to learn more about the enormous consequences to communities of color, of mass incarceration, of continued neighborhood and school segregation, of education inequities and healthcare disparities. 
Christians of all races can learn how long-standing policies and practices around issues like housing and education and criminal justice disproportionately harm some of our neighbors. Let me make here one related point about recent protests and dissent surrounding some of these issues started perhaps most prominently by Colin Kaepernick and kneeling during the national anthem. I don't have sort of a full prescriptive menu here for you, but three thoughts about how to think through these questions of dissent. First, we have to protect the right of everybody to dissent. It's fundamental to our laws and our country. Second, we might all be encouraged to a greater empathy with people we don't agree with or don't understand. And then finally, we might think of this kind of dissent as a reminder, even to all of us, of where our ultimate allegiances actually lie, that we are not of this world and that we are aliens and strangers here. I say this as someone who is not without patriotism. I served four years as an active duty military officer and I suffered with my Pentagon colleagues after 9-11 when the plane hit our building in the minutes and hours after that attack. I still personally stand for the national anthem, but I understand why others do not. And I don't place my hand over my heart when I stand for the national anthem as a reminder to me that my allegiances lie elsewhere. I want to keep the perspective so well put by the songwriter Rich Mullins I want to call you my country, but be lonely for my home. And the final example of engagement of faith, hope, and love through confident pluralism is in the area of religious liberty, particularly in the cause of religious freedom. Many Christians today feel increasing legal pressures on some of their institutions and ways of life, and some of these challenges are significant. I serve on the board of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and in many campuses around this country, InterVarsity and other campus ministries are not welcome on campus. And there are social service organizations confronting regulations in tension with their missional convictions and other challenges. We should not be naive to these challenges and we should work hard for appropriate legal and policy responses. But we have to make our case in publicly accessible terms that appeal to people of goodwill from a variety of religious traditions and from those of no religious tradition. In doing so, we cannot ignore the principle of religious liberty for everybody. There is no principled legal or theological argument that looks only to the good of Christians. I think today's cultural and political climate makes it essential for Christians to pursue this line of engagement, particularly with American Muslims. We would benefit from partnerships and charitable work on behalf of others and in advocating for the value of pluralism in this country and defending the importance of religious liberty for all. And we can pursue this on the local level, engaging with our neighbors of other faiths. I've taken these three specific applications of politics, race, and religious liberty from an article that Tim Keller and I wrote in June of 2016. That now feels like an awfully long time ago. But I think that the time since then has made all of this just increasingly more urgent and more important for Christians. And our posture, I think, ought to be something like confident pluralism. Through the lens of John 17, we can remember the words of Jesus to be in the world but not of it, to be sanctified and to be unified. 
And then one more, a bonus from Jesus, do not fear. Sometimes when I talk to Christians, I sense fear in their voices and perspectives on the world, and there are challenges out there. We need to be thoughtful and wise and sometimes pragmatic, and we can be concerned about injustice and challenges we see, but we're called not to fear. The world is watching for our witness. I hope that part of your experience here at Covenant is equipping you for these possibilities and to encourage you to live more confidently in the world that you encounter. And so let me close by going back to the words from Andy Crouch and and saying this as a prayer for all of us. Let's pray together. Lord, will you make us Christians who are shaped and reshaped into people whose every thought and action is characterized by faith, hope, and love, and who then speak and act in the world with humility, patience, and tolerance. Amen.